0: All right, good morning, how's everybody doing? It is great to see you this morning for Celebration of Hope. I need to say a special welcome to those of you joining us online. Big shout out to all of our Willow campuses. Big shout out to my friends in Wheaton, good to see you. Uh, Crystal Lake, South Lake, North Shore, Huntley, Chicago, the entire Willow family is together this morning as we get to celebrate hope together. I hope you showed up today just anticipating what God is going to do in our midst this morning. I showed up with great faith and great anticipation for really what God is going to do. This is my second celebration of hope, and I love what we get to do as a church. I mean, it's just a reminder that the God's church is local, but God's church is also global. And the opportunity we have to lock arms with our global partners to see God do an incredible work, for me, it's incredibly inspiring. It's an amazing opportunity that we get to really dig in. And so yesterday, I had the opportunity... To be a part of a seed packing experience. It was my first seed packing opportunity, so I got to gather with a few hundred of my closest friends and we got to pack some seeds and be a part of that. Just as a quick update across all locations, to date, at the moment, we packed almost 600,000 seed packs at the moment, which is awesome. And from my understanding today, there are seed packing opportunities at every one of our locations. We're anticipating another 3,000 volunteers deployed to pack more seeds today. And with great anticipation, we believe that we will hit the million seeds packed at some point today. Whoever gets to pack the millionth seed pack, I don't know, gets seven Jesus points. I don't know what you get for that, but it'd be an amazing, amazing moment as we get to collectively provide our efforts. Now think about what that means. A million seed packs, each one of those packs potentially provides up to 150 pounds of food for a family that they can use for their own consumption, but they can also use to sell those goods in order to generate some economic activity in their own lives as well as their local community. It is an incredible hand up to our global partners. So thanks in advance. Well, thank you for what work has done. Been done, but thanks in advance for the work that we'll do. What an incredible opportunity that we have to be difference makers as a church together. Now, for how many of you this is your very first celebration of hope? Okay, handful, across all locations. Uh, How many of you, you've been a part of a celebration of hope before? Okay, lots of us, great. So if you've been a part of a celebration of hope, you know, really part of what we do as celebration of hope is we take an above and beyond offering. And what we do with those dollars is we give every single dime away to our global partners to fuel their work really across the world. And we have a very aggressive goal for us as it relates to our above and beyond offering. I would call this, this is gonna be a miracle offering. Uh, Truly, if we're able to reach the goal that we really believe God's calling us to, I think it will take truly a miracle for us to get there. So we're praying for a miracle. We're praying for that miracle this morning. Uh, Our goal for our celebration of offering is $1.7 million that will be given away and deployed to our global partners. Now, how did we come up with $1.7 million? It's not as though we thought, hmm. I wonder what a good goal would be this year, or or that we recognized that 1.4 million was given last year and we just wanted to take it up a notch this year. Instead, we arrived at that goal in a very different way. Uh, Here's what's true about us as it relates to our global partners. It's not just about what we do, it's also about how we get to do it. In other words, we don't want to be a church that has a savior complex that thinks that we are needed to save the world. Here's what we already know we have one savior of the world, and we are not him. That is Jesus, right? So we're not the savior of the world. However, we have the opportunity to serve the savior of the world. So we come with a very humble posture. When it comes to our global partners, we don't come with our own agenda, we don't come with what we think should be done. Instead, we take a very humble listening posture and we ask, What are you hearing? What are you seeing? What are the opportunities that you're feeling God leading you to do? Because they're the ones that have the cultural understanding in the context in which they live. And so we ask, where are you sensing God leading? What injustices are you seeing? What needs do you sense that God's responding to? And we ask all of our global partners across 11 countries that represents 2,100 churches, they submit proposals to us. We look at those proposals, we kind of weed through them a little bit, and we prayfully discern what we believe that God's calling us to. And so the $1.7 million is reflected to the needs that are being expressed by our partners today. It is not the agenda that we bring to the table, it's the response that we get to have to the need that we become aware of as a church. And so again, uh, it's an aggressive goal. I would go as far to say that we are literally praying for a miracle. So I'm going to ask that we just have an openness to what God might do this morning. That we might have an openness to how God might lead. And so if you'd allow me to, can I say a prayer for what God will ultimately do in and through us here through Celebration of Hope? God, we just come to you. And God, we fully surrender to you. We give ourselves fully to you. God, we ask that you would do what only you can do. And so, Father, as it relates to our global partnerships, God, we recognize that we are not the Savior. You are. And so, Father, we just humbly submit ourselves to you. Would you just do in us and through us exactly what you planned long ago? That every single dollar has a purpose. Every single dollar is a dollar that's been prayed for. And God, through it, would you do something special in and through our lives, we pray in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. All right, so if you've got a Bible, I want to ask that you turn to the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Uh, if not, the, the words are going to show up on the screen as well. Now, last week, when we kicked off Celebration of Hope, one of our partners, Ron Wedo, who represents the Elase Ministry in Latin America, kicked us off in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He talked about that even though we face struggles at times, even through struggles, we can still find hope in Jesus. So I'm going to fast forward a couple more chapters, but stay with uh, the book of 2 Corinthians, and you still find some powerful words that come off of the pen of Paul as he wrote to the church in Corinth. Now, what's happening in the cultural context is, is Paul is a, a, an apostle to the Gentiles. Now, Paul himself is a Jew, but he felt called by God to reach those who were non Jews. Now, every other apostle really lived out their, their work in serving God by reaching their own people, the Jewish people. And so, Peter, James, John, all the other apostles, they really went to serve the Jewish community. Paul himself felt called to the non Jews, uh, those who were considered foreigners. And he began to serve those. But, but even at the same time as he served the Gentile community, Paul always felt compelled and called to make sure that his own people were always taken care of. And Paul found out that the church in Jerusalem was really struggling. Not only were they facing persecution, they were facing a famine. They were falling on really, really hard times. And he asked and compelled the Gentile church to support their global partners in Jerusalem. And you kind of get this sense that you just recognize that God's church is a global church. It always has been. That the kingdom of God is not defined by borders or boundaries or divisions in any way. The kingdom of God is pervasive everywhere. That sometimes people ask the question, should we help people there when we have so many needs right here? And sometimes people will say, I can't help people there or we shouldn't help people there because we have so many needs right here. And Paul reminds us that the kingdom of God has no boundaries The kingdom of God is not divided by gender or by ethnicity or by what language you speak. The kingdom of God is not defined by latitude and longitude. It is not as if we decide whether we help our brothers and sisters in Africa or whether we help our brothers and sisters in Indiana. We just help our brothers and sisters wherever they might be. God's church is a a global church, and so he compels the, the Gentile church to make sure they're serving their Jewish neighbors, that they may never meet, that they may never have the opportunity to tangibly see how their gift might make an impact, but nevertheless, he calls them to do just that. And we discover through Paul's writing that Paul sees ultimately that giving is a privilege. It's truly a privilege. Now, here's what he says, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, talking about another church, he says this, he says, now brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in what? You almost said that with conviction. Let's try that again. It it says that their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in what? In rich generosity. He says, for I testify that they gave as much as they were able, even beyond their ability entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the Lord's people. I mean, what a really, really cool statement. Now, what Paul is describing is he's talking to the church at Corinth, he says, I want you to know about what the Macedonian churches have done. These are the churches that were all throughout the area of Greece. He goes, it's been amazing to see what they've done. They were facing their own trials They were in their own poverty-stricken circumstance, but nevertheless, even in their extreme poverty, they welled up in rich generosity. It reminds me of a a moment that I had when I was in college. I had the opportunity to serve in the country of Mexico. I was working with an organization that built homes in Mexico. And so I was there for about three months. I got to work with a lot of different groups. We got to build a lot of different homes in different neighborhoods, uh, just south of San Diego in, in Tijuana, Mexico. And one of the weeks is a week that I will never forget. I had the opportunity to meet the father of the household we were building for. His name was Jose. Now it was a pretty unique situation to meet the father of the household because more often than not, the father of the household was the sole breadwinner for a family and they couldn't forgo the income for a week to be there with us while we were building. So most of the time, the father of the household was always at work and we never met them. And so this was one of the only times that I got to meet Jose or or, or the father of the household. His name was Jose. And this was one of the more life-giving people that you will ever encounter in your life. He had more joy. He was so fun. He had a contagious laughter. He was amazing to be a part of. Though we didn't speak the same language, there was something about our hearts that just instantly united together. I loved spending time with him. And not only is he this joy-filled, life-giving man, he, again, he, for, he, he, he set aside his income for the week to hang out with us, and then he just over and over again blessed our group. There were a couple of different times throughout the week that he cooked lunch for our entire group of about 20 people. I mean, tamales, fresh tortillas, it was, my mouth is watering thinking about it right now. It was just, it was, it was amazing. It was so incredibly good. It was an incredible gift to us. And even on top of that, there were a couple of moments throughout the week that he provided small gifts for different members of our group. He was just an amazing, amazing and generous, generous man. Now fast forward to the end of the week. We got to the very last day and we were putting the stucco finish on his home and we ran out of water to mix the stucco that we needed to finish the house. Now, the organization I worked for, they, they required two things of the family that you were building for. They, they required that the family owned the land that was being built on, and they also required that the family provided the water that you would mix the cement and the stucco for the home. It was a very inexpensive thing to require the family. They had these 55-gallon drums that water trucks would come around and fill up with water, and it cost about $2 to fill one of those 55-gallon drums. So we got to the end of the week. We run out of water. I went up to Jose, and I asked him through very broken Spanish. I asked him if he wouldn't mind getting us one more barrel of water. And immediately, tears filled his eyes, and he began to cry. And I thought, oh, no, what did I say in Spanish that I didn't mean to say? And he looked at me, and he said, Sean, I don't have anything left. And it hit me that he decided not to receive income for a week to spend time with us. It hit me that he spent every resource that he had in order to feed our group or provide gifts of gratitude for our group. It was no big deal for us to pay for the water to finish the home. But that moment marked me. Because there's a man that literally gave us everything that he had. The truth about giving is I've learned far more about giving and generosity from the developing world than I ever, those who've lived in plenty. Because there's something about those who find such great joy and such great privilege that out of their poverty, it wells up in extreme generosity. What I experienced with Jose is really what Paul's describing about the church of Macedonia. That's what they did. They were facing their own trial, their own difficulty, their own challenging circumstance, but yet in their poverty, it welled up in extreme generosity. What I love about what Paul writes about this church of Macedonia is he says, I didn't even ask them to give. I was going to let them off the hook because they were facing such difficult circumstances. But it says that they pleaded with me. They pleaded with me for the opportunity, the privilege it is to give. If we understand giving correctly, giving is not an obligation. Giving is not a coercion. Nobody's twisting our arm to give. Giving is an amazing response. It's a privilege we get to to, to partner with the God of the universe to impact lives for his kingdom. Giving's a privilege. But why is giving a privilege? Paul goes to, un- to unpack why giving is a privilege as he is teaching the-, the church at Corinth. And so he says, and we need to make sure we understand that ultimately if we understand giving, we got to understand that giving starts with God. Giving starts with God. It doesn't start with us. It ultimately starts with him. A couple of verses later, 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9 says this says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that through his poverty we might become what? Man, you're catching on here, right? Now look what it says. The same thing we just described about what the Macedonian church did. Why did they do that? Is because they understood that giving didn't start with themselves, that giving starts with God. We only give because he gave. We only love because he loved. We only forgive because we are forgiven. It all starts with God. It it kind of makes me think uh, of this. Uh, I've just got a bowl. This is just water in the bowl. Now, if you think about generosity... Uh, generosity, from a biblical perspective, the, the word has a connotation of saturation, like, like full saturation. So when we think about generosity what God has done, it's not like God takes his toe and just kind of dips it in the shallow end. That's not how God thinks about generosity. When God thinks about generosity, it is about, like, it, it's about saturation. It's about like fully plunging oneself. And so you think about really what that looks like. Just think about what pours out when, when, when something is saturated. And so as you think about what God has done for us, God is such a generous God that out of God's life, there's something that pours out of him and into us. When, when God thinks about his love for us, he doesn't love us just a little bit. He just doesn't love us on our good days. God pours out his extravagant, unconditional, amazing love for us. As you think about God's grace for us, his grace for us is not just minimal at certain moments at certain times. God's grace is extravagant for us. It's incredibly generous. As you think about God's forgiveness, God doesn't just give forgiveness for the easy stuff, like for the little things in life. God's forgiveness is extravagant for the stuff that we can't even begin to comprehend. Our God is a generous God. And if you allow him to, what we do in life is we take a receiving posture with God that our lives become full because of what God has poured into us. And so as we think about giving, we don't think about giving from who we are. We think about giving from what God has given to us. That makes some sense? Giving doesn't start with us. Giving starts with God. We only give what's been given to us. And that was the joy that the Macedonian church got to experience. We give what we've been given. We love because we loved. We forgive because we've been forgiven. We have the opportunity to partner with God's global church because what God has done radically in our lives. All giving starts with God. One of my favorite verses in scripture is very well known. It actually talks about God's generosity That for God so loved the world that he what? That he gave. He gave his one and only son. That whoever might believe in him would never perish and have everlasting God. Your God, my God, our God is a generous God. And I would go as far to say that we are never more like God than when we choose to give. It is a privilege. But it starts with him. But when we choose to engage it, I would also say that giving giving grows our hearts. Giving does something in us as much as giving does something through us. A couple verses later, book of 2 Corinthians, uh, it says says this, verse 13. It says, our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need. So in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality. Here's what he's saying kind of on the surface. That there will be times in your life that you might have more than enough. And in those moments, that's not just for us to kind of keep to ourselves. The moments that we have more than enough, we extend it to somebody else who has a need. Because there might be a time at some point in life that those scripts flip that somebody else might have plenty that can be able to supply the need that I have. What's amazing about how God works is God provides enough for everyone, but many times he extends that enough through us. And there's an opportunity that we have in order to engage the global church because there are things that we have that can bless the global church, but at the same time there's things that the global church that can bless us in a powerful way, it truly does grow our hearts. The more I lean into the work of our partners, the more I lean into the stories about what God is doing globally, the more my heart is, the more my heart is shaped, the more my heart is full of compassion, the more my heart becomes want to be responsive. One of the stories that I heard recently uh, came out of our partner in Latin America, and they told a story about really what's taking place in some of the more remote parts of Central America is that, that many times, uh, uh, because of the remoteness of where people live, they often give birth to their children at home. Uh, they, don't, they don't have access necessarily to, to transportation. They can live 25 unpaved miles from the nearest hospital or the nearest town, and, and, and they don't have access to, to buses or to cars in order to get there. So oftentimes, childbirth takes place in their homes But because of the remoteness and the disconnection from the city, oftentimes these new babies, they don't get birth certificates. Their their names are not registered in any way in the countries in which they live, which creates challenges for them as they grow up. Because without a birth certificate, they don't get the rights and privileges that citizens would get in their country. And so in other words, they don't have the ability to vote. They don't have the ability to ever own title or own land in any way. They don't have access to education or any kind of government services. Like in this past season, whatever government services related to COVID, they wouldn't be able to receive those types of of services. Their marriages wouldn't even be recognized. It's almost as though they don't exist because they don't have a birth certificate. And one of our partners was in church one weekend, and this woman walked in, and she heard the gospel for the first time. That The gospel message that through Jesus we place our faith and commitment to him that their name can be written in their book of life. And she came up to the pastor after the service with tears filling her eyes and she asked this question. Is it possible for my name to be written in the book of life because I have no name? I mean I heard the question and just listening to the story and my heart breaks for that situation. Now, what's amazing about what the pastor to that moment is there's two opportunities that that question provides. One's a spiritual opportunity and one's a social opportunity. The spiritual opportunity is to right-size somebody's understanding about who God is. What's true about God is when we place our faith and commitment to the person of Jesus, the truth is our name is written in the book of life in heaven. That it doesn't matter who we are. It doesn't matter our background. It doesn't matter if our our country recognizes we exist. God knows we exist. God sees us. God hears us. When we surrender our life to him, our name is recognized in God's book of life. (laughs) What a powerful, life-changing, eternity-altering reality that that is. That's a spiritual opportunity. But you hear there's also a social opportunity as well. You think about the prayer that, that Jesus taught his disciples to pray. He says, your kingdom come, your will be done as, on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, what Jesus prayed is, if there are certain spiritual truths that it gives us in heaven, part of our work as a, chur- a church is to take those truths and do everything we possibly can to make those true on earth as well. That earth becomes a better reflection of what heaven's going to be like. And if it's true that this woman's name is written in the book of life, Is it possible that we as a church can partner that her name might be written in some book on earth as well? And so we began to to work with a partner called Red Viva in in Latin America. And one of the things that has been done recently within that country is they've developed an, an app and some technology through the funds that are provided through Celebration of Hope. And these, these app and technology is now made available to midwives who go out into the countryside of these very rural areas. That the moment a child is born in a rural area, in a free way, they can uh, communicate this child is born and a birth certificate can be created. And a name is not just written in the book of life, a name gets written in a book here on earth. It's life changing. <laughs> and my friends, that's why weekends like this are so important. That our global work has profound spiritual implications. But our global work also has profound social implications. And I believe God cares about both. I believe that God wants to change us for eternity. But I think that God also wants to change us starting today. And the opportunity that we have to grow our hearts through our giving, to partner with God in ways all over the world is life-changing. It's eternity-altering, and it even changes a life like mine. Giving is a privilege. It starts with God. It grows our hearts. And I would also say that giving has the opportunity to fuel the mission. Uh, Giving fuels the mission in a meaningful way. Uh, I I want to take us out of uh, the book of 2 Corinthians and I want to share a quick proverb that I ran across years ago that was a fascinating proverb. Uh, Some of you have actually heard me share a little bit about this proverb because it's just been so powerful and impacting in my life. Uh, But I remember the first time I read this proverb, I thought to myself, I don't even know that that's true, because here's what it says. It says in Proverbs chapter 11, help me out with the underlined word, it says the whole city what? The whole city celebrates when the godly succeed. No, they don't. I mean, we're not generally people that celebrate somebody else's success. I mean, think about that. Like, when was the last time that you were amped out of your minds for the success of the Kardashian family? <laughs> I don't feel that. Or think about the last time an athlete signs a $450 million contract, and you're thinking, oh, finally, that's amazing, I'm so happy for them. That's not what we feel. Anger? Maybe. Jealousy? For sure. Indifference? Probably. But celebration, that's not what I feel. Maybe you're a better human than I am, but, but, but generally, I don't typically celebrate in the success of others, with one exception. And I experienced that exception a number of years ago. There's a close uh, family member of mine that I called on their birthday years ago, and I called them just to wish them a happy birthday. When they, they answered the phone, they said, Sean, you will never believe what happened to me this morning. I said, what? They said, I was, it was my birthday, and so I went to the gas station, and I just bought a lottery ticket as a birthday gift to myself. And I scratched off the lottery ticket, and I won $100,000 on a scratch-off lottery ticket. And I'm like, you're out of your mind. That's amazing. And I found myself not feeling angry, not feeling indifferent, not feeling jealous. I was so excited for my relative. Why? Because I was hoping I might be close enough that I might get some. <laughs> right? Right? That's the only time that we celebrate the success of others, that if maybe, just maybe, we can be a benefactor of their success. Now, let's hold that principle. Let's go back and read the proverb again. I want to highlight a different word in what you just read. Help me out with the highlighted word. It says this, the whole city celebrates when who succeeds? When the godly succeed. Now, why would we celebrate somebody's success if they were godly? Because godly people don't see the resources of their own, that everything they have actually came to them from God. Godly people recognize that whatever I have in abundance, God actually asks me and I have the opportunity to share it. The reality is, the why the city celebrates is because they're the benefactor of the godly person's success. How much more true can that be literally in this moment? That as we consider how God might lead us to be a blessing to our global partners, to fuel the mission in a powerful way across the world, what if the world celebrates because of the godly people's response in this room and in your room, in all of our rooms, literally this weekend? What if we respond in such a way that our brothers and sisters in India celebrate? What if we respond in such a way that our partners in in, in South Africa and in Zambia, Malawi, they begin to celebrate? What if we respond in a godly way that truly singing and dancing breaks out in El Salvador and in Guatemala and in Costa Rica? What if we truly respond in such a way that as heaven rejoices in our response, our brothers and sisters fill the street in Cambodia because the city celebrates when the godly succeed? My friends, I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to encourage you in every single room, in every one of our campuses, would you respond in a godly way to the mission that's before us? Paul started this 2,000 years ago, compelling the the Gentile churches to respond to a need in their Jewish and brothers and sisters they may never meet, they may never understand the impact. But compelled by what God has done in their life, the willingness to lean in and allow God to grow their heart and recognizing that we can be a part of the greatest mission on planet Earth and participate in a way that really is difference-making. I feel like the opportunity that Paul gave to that church 2,000 years ago is the same opportunity that God gives you today. May the godly respond in such a way that the world truly can celebrate what's going on. Uh, hopefully, uh, some of you received, or, or, or you received either last week or maybe received today, a card that looks like this. It's a, it's a lot of different ways that of how this offering will be used to bless our global partners. And if you didn't receive a card, it's okay. Uh, you can just go to WillowCreek.org/coh, and everything that you see on this card, you'll see at WillowCreek.org/coh. Lots of opportunity to be difference makers. Again, I mentioned as we started this message, we're praying for a miracle. We're asking that God would do something beyond anything that we could have prepared in advance for. We're asking that God potentially would empower us across all locations, across all of you watching online, that we might collectively give $1.7 million this weekend. That's going to take a step of faith from all of us. And So I usually don't lean hard into financial asks because sometimes people can perceive that as that's very self-serving for pastors to do. Today's not self-serving at all because all these resources are giving away. And just so you know, it's not self-serving anyway. But I'm going to compel you and challenge you because as we give all these funds away, as you consider what God might be leading you to do, would you consider doubling that amount, whatever that is? As you consider what God might be calling you to do, would you consider adding a zero to the end? And I don't mean putting a decimal before the zero. For some of us, maybe God will lead us to give a four-figure gift or a five-figure gift, or maybe God will even lead you to a six-figure gift. I'm not asking you to do something that God's not, but I am asking you to open yourself up and would you do whatever it is that you feel God asking you to do, that that collectively we can do something amazing in partnership with our, our, our global community. And so at all of our locations, Our bands are going to come, and we're going to sing a song called Do It Again, because we've seen God do amazing work through Celebration of Hope, and we're going to ask God to do it again. And as this song is being sung, I just want to ask that you prayerfully consider whatever it is that God has for you. And if you came with somebody, you can talk with them about really what that might be. Allow God to push you, to stretch you, to do something maybe you've never done before. Take a step of faith, and let's do it to the honor and glory of the God we serve.